Thank you, Kevin, for shepherding us in our hearts in prayer and for Peter shepherding our hearts in singing the word. Um, Wow, I have to tell you, it's an overwhelming joy to be with you here this morning in the house of the living God, in the house of the Lord. It is something that we don't deserve. What a blessing. Well, a question I have for you, especially in light of this past week where uh, we've had that eerie orange glow and I've had friends from other, at least one other country texting me and asking me how we're doing and as they are watching us in the news and we think of all the strangeness that's going on in our times and in our country and uh, in our city What is it that you find yourself thinking about? What do you desire in life? What are you looking for? What are you seeking for? What do you find yourself praying for, especially this past week? What do we desire? Because the two are linked. What we pray for is really coming from the desires of our heart. And it's worth stopping and thinking back of our prayers for the past week. And seeing the direction that they go and seeing what are the burdens that are on our hearts. Well, in Psalm 27.4, King David writes, One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after. And what is this one thing that King David asks of the Lord and that he seeks after? His overwhelming heart's desire. Psalm 27.4, it's that I may dwell... In the house of the Lord. All the days of my life. And a little bit later this morning we'll read the first portion of that psalm. And as you read that psalm you see that David most likely is writing this song. In a time where he is being persecuted or chased or men want to kill him. And yet in the midst of that. He does talk about deliverance from his enemies. He does talk about help. He does talk about rescue. But overwhelmingly, those are part of this overwhelming desire of his heart. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Not just one day a week, all the days of my life. And David may well have been writing that when he was separate and running around in the desert and hiding out in holes where he was unable to get to the tabernacle and he was unable to get to the place of worship where the Lord and His glory dwelt, that He was separated for an extended period of time. And in God's sovereignty, as you go through Scripture, you see that there are these periods in time where despite a child's longing and desire to be with the Lord, the Lord steps in for reasons, as Kevin prayed this morning, that we don't know or understand, where we're not able to get there. And perhaps at least one of the reasons the Lord does that is to show us what the desires of our heart are and how precious a thing it is to dwell in the house of the Lord. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? Well, David gives the reason at the end of verse 4. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of Him in His temple. With these 
God-breathed words, King David expresses not only his greatest desire, but he expresses the desire of all God's true children. That desire and that longing, which is simply a desire to be with the God who in love has made them and has saved them for himself. When you truly love someone, you want to be with them, not some of the time. You want to be with them all of the time. Right? And for those of you who have gone through premarital recently, and for those of you who have gotten married, and those of you who have gone through this engagement period in time, or dating in this strange time where all the interactions are happening virtually online, you know, I, th- I think you're well aware of this reality, that, that the thought of, oh, let's get married and spend the rest of our lives online, no, it, does, it makes no sense whatsoever because the, the heart's desire when you love someone is you want to be with them all the time. You want to gaze upon their beauty. You want to draw near to them. You want to inquire of them and be able to talk to them any time about everything and anything. And King David understood that this is what, brothers and sisters, worship and fellowship in the house of the Lord, are all about. It's not an obligation. It's not a list of to-dos. Worship and fellowship, brothers and sisters, is about being in the presence of the God who has loved us and made us and saved us for himself. It's about drawing near. It's about gazing upon his beauty and being able to inquire of him, not an absent father whose door is closed, but to be able to come and have him speak into our lives. That, brothers and sisters, is what the house of the Lord is all about for the children of God. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. Years ago, I had to explain to an old medical school buddy of mine who called me up that I wouldn't be able to speak with him and hang out with him on a Sunday evening. And the reason for that was because I was planning on going to Grace Community Church in the evening. And when he heard the reason, I didn't give him the reason initially, and he sort of dug, well, why, why aren't you able to hang out with me? Why aren't, why aren't we able to talk on a Sunday evening? I was like, well, you know, I whispered on my breath, I'm you know, going to be going to church. And at which point he freaked out on me. And uh, he was like, whoa, 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 what's going on? You know, I understand you want to go to church once on a Sunday, but twice on a Sunday. I mean, uh, Mark, I'm starting to get worried about you. And certainly my friend's concern for me, it spoke volumes of what he thought about church. Like many professing Christians, time in the house of the Lord for him was simply one of many social obligations in a busy life. It was a non-essential lifestyle choice, which is less essential than getting an abortion, going to a liquor store, getting your weed, going to a casino, less essential than work, family, or friends, and many of the reasons, brothers and sisters, that often can come in between us and spending time with the people of God in the house of the Lord. And he wasn't able to see, 
in spite of a, a religious and allegedly Christian background, he wasn't able to see what was so special about spending time in the house of the Lord in person. Isn't that something that you could do via podcast? Isn't that something that you can listen to a sermon midweek? Isn't that something that you could read the transcript about afterwards? Well, for King David, time in person in the house of the Lord was something far more wonderful and far more beautiful and far more life-transforming than a podcast. So this morning we turn to the God-breathed words of Psalm 23 and Psalm 27 to consider more fully what the house of the Lord is. And the reason I'm going this direction and we want to go old school, as my boys would say before we go new school and come to the New Testament, is because I think many of the struggles that we've had in making decisions about what we're going to do about church, they come down to us wrestling with this idea of what exactly is the house of the Lord. We all bring our different ideas many times about the house of the Lord based on how we were raised or our experiences. But as we grow in Christ and as the Lord brings adversity into our lives, like not being able to meet, The Lord shepherds us to his word so that we begin to see his love for us in the house of the Lord, not based on our personal experience or feelings, but based on his word and based on him. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 27. We'll read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll go back to Psalm 23. And we will consider King David's great desire. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, Yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that's what we did this morning. And that's why we did that this morning. Now turn back with me if you would to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (coughs) Excuse me. In both of these psalms, as you look at both of these psalms, very clearly for King David, the house of the Lord is a special place. As you read through the psalms, you'll see it comes up over and over again, the house of the Lord. It's not an isolated theme. It's really a central theme. And for King David, spending time in the house of the Lord was clearly more than just a religious obligation to be carried out once a week or during religious festivals. It was, as we read Psalm 23, and you find it at the very end of the psalm, the house of the Lord is the aim, the goal, the fulfillment of the entirety of his life's journey. It's the pinnacle, it's the climax, it's the high point. It's where everything in his life is leading. This is the area where, in time, where we get to enjoy the NBA finals, right? And you know for an NBA player who's actively playing, the entire season comes down to one thing. Playing and winning the finals. Being there. Lifting up that trophy. And as NFL season starts, sports, the religion of America, as the NFL season begins, you know that every game, it's not a victory in itself. And you'll hear the players say, hey, this is just one win. Right? Because the big vision and big prize is to play in the Super Bowl and lift the trophy up at the end. But for King David, as you walk through really a summary and a testimony of his life, Psalm 23, what he's pointing to and saying, hey, where everything leads to in this journey, the entirety of my life, the highs and the lows, the sweet places, the difficult places, the discipline in my life that comes from the Lord's rod and staff, his leading in my life, his love in my life, it's all leading to one place. It's leading to the house of the Lord. And to dwell in the house of the Lord. Not just to see it at a distance. It's to be there. To participate in the house of the Lord. And for King David. The highest honor and the highest calling. Was to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As a child of the Lord. Because this is where the Lord in his love is leading him. Brothers and sisters. This is when we read David. This is where he was meant to be. And even if he wasn't able to get there, it's still the desire of his heart because that's where he's supposed to be. For King David, the house of the Lord was not only his destiny and his greatest delight. It's where he loved to be the most. Because it's where the one who loved him the most lived and dwelled. Because his desire was to be with God. That was the overwhelming desire of his heart. And that brings us to our first point. hope you can see this. I know it's a little hard to see those outlines. But I'll explain them to you in a moment. But our first point this morning is the house of the Lord is where the Lord in love dwells with his family. The house of the Lord is where the Lord in love dwells with his family. Family, those he loves. In the Old Testament, the house of the Lord 
was a reference to what's called the tent of meeting. Or the tabernacle, the temple, or also referred to as the sanctuary, the holy place. And it was a place that was set apart by God's word for his glory to dwell with his chosen people. And as such, that tent of meeting was the center of all worship, all fellowship, and quite frankly, it was the center of all the Israelites' life, or at least it was supposed to be. Set apart by the word of the Lord. Now, if you look at this diagram, if you can see it, it might be hard to make out. It's a struggle to get... uh, Get good diagrams. But the diagram is showing the outline of the tabernacle. And in the tabernacle, you had a tent in the middle. You had a barrier around the outside. You had an altar and a wash basin in the front court. But by the Lord's command, God had Moses arrange all the tribes in a very specified and ordered way, ordered according to the word of the Lord, all the way around the tabernacle or the house of the Lord. That was the center. That was the focal point. And though the house of the Lord is first mentioned in Exodus 23.19, its roots are actually found in Genesis. Where in the beginning, the Lord God by His word creates a perfect world. And He creates that perfect world. And by His word... In the middle of that world that he creates, that perfect world, by his word he orders and he sets apart a perfect garden to be his place of perfect worship and fellowship with his children. In the beginning, Adam and Eve. And that garden that he sets up in the middle and that is set apart and that is ordered by his word. You should think about 1 Timothy as you think of the order of the house of the Lord by the word is a place that's designated where the Lord will walk during the cool of the day and where Adam and Eve have the opportunity to fellowship face-to-face where they're able to walk and talk with their Creator and their God. And it is a beautiful place, not just physically, but spiritually. It's a place of intimacy and love and fellowship. It's a place where Adam and Eve are able to walk around without clothes on. Why? Because they are not going to be evil and sinful thoughts. And they are not going to be demeaned or violated. They don't have to cover up and protect themselves. There is nothing, this idea of fellowship, there is nothing that separates them from the Lord and from one another. Nobody's going to make fun of them. Nobody's going to crack jokes. Nobody's going to say you got to wear the baggy shirt. Or where did you get those pants and that hat? God has created a place of perfect fellowship so that His creation can experience His love and His goodness and His glory to the fullest. And that their lives would be filled with it and by extension they would go out and fill the rest of the world with His love and His goodness and His glory as His image bearers. That's what the Lord created the world to be. And what is it that destroys this fellowship? 
Well, you know, in Genesis 3, it's our sin. And as a result of that, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. And now they must live as sinners in a sin-cursed world. Covered. And covering their nakedness and running in fear. Not unlike what's happening in America today. But the good news of God's word is that he, in love, does not abandon his sinful children. And instead he intervenes and he provides a way for them to be with him again. And that doesn't start just in the New Testament, brothers and sisters. It starts right back in the beginning. And when we get to the book of Exodus, the Lord does this. He provides a way for his chosen people to be with him and have fellowship with him by redeeming and saving the children of Israel out of Egypt. And very interestingly, when you go and read the description of Egypt, the Lord refers to it as the house of slavery. The house of slavery, as opposed to the house of the Lord. And when the Lord intervenes, his children are in the house of slavery. And Egypt at that time in the ancient Near East was one of the most influential, powerful, and wealthiest superpowers. They represented the pinnacle of everything that this world represents. The house of slavery. And the Lord comes in. He redeems them as you know the story. We went through with the ten plagues that he uses. He brings them out through the Passover and through the Exodus. And why does he do that? He does it to bring them to himself. And he tells Pharaoh, I want them to come out into the desert and the wilderness so that they can worship me. These are my children. He's doing this to bring them and to save them and redeem them so that they can come and draw near to him as his covenant children. Where they can begin to gaze upon his beauty and inquire of him and worship him in freedom. Where they can fellowship with him. He provides for them a covenant, but he also provides for them this humble tent, this diagram that you see, a tent in the middle also known as the tent of meeting, the sanctuary, or the house of the Lord, where the glory of the Lord will dwell with His adopted children. And the presence of God's glory in this humble tent, when you see it, you can go to Israel and they've set up sort of a a mock tabernacle area where they go with the proportions and you can see. And when you look at it, you're like, whoa, this is nothing special. But the point the Lord is making as he resides and gives a portion of his glory in this humble tent, is that it's not the tent, brothers and sisters, that makes this special. It's the Lord and his presence that makes it special. And the reason he is there in this tent is because his people, as they travel through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, they must travel and live in tents. And the Lord in his love and his grace and in his humility out of love for them, leaves his place in glory and lives in a tent so that he can live and be close to his people. It's a beautiful, beautiful illustration and demonstration of the Lord coming down in contrast to so many of the pagan and foreign religions where it's all about you having to climb that mountain to get up to some man-made pinnacle. But it's also there for the children of Israel to be reminded 
that wherever the Lord leads them on this journey to the promised land, the Lord will always be with them. Unless they break his covenant and depart and walk away from him. And that's the reason why the tent is in the middle. And that's why by the word of his By the order of his word, all the tents and all the tribes are organized, which each of their tribes specifically, all the way around. The dwelling place, the house of the Lord, where the Lord was, was meant to be the center of their life. He was reminding them, your life, your freedom, it's all tied and connected to me. This tent, brothers and sisters, was Emmanuel. It was God with us. And by the Lord's command, it was always to be set up in a place where everybody could see that this is the center of their work, their entertainment, their sports, their livelihood. Every aspect of their life revolved around the house of the Lord because of the one who dwelt in that place. This was God's gift of love. Their new lives were to be built around Him. Their new lives were not to be built around gathering bread or their work. Brothers and sisters in the world, that's called slavery. Where your life is a life of obligation based on your work or serving other men. Not so for God's family and God's children. They were free and they were free to serve the Lord. Their lives were built around the Lord. And when the Lord and His presence was removed, brothers and sisters, that's when life always becomes slavery and bondage to something other than the Lord. And that's when we lose our fellowship with God. For the children of Israel, what made this place special was not the tent, but the one who resided in that tent. And that brings us to our second point this morning. The house of the Lord is holy because he is holy. The house of the Lord is holy because he is holy. In Psalm 15:1, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Psalm 15:1. King David writes, "O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill?" Verse 2, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. What King David appreciates here, sometimes what we can easily lose sight of, is that the Lord does not simply dwell in his house. He's not a guest there, brothers and sisters. He's the king. This is his house. And because he is holy, his tent, his holy hill, his dwelling place must be holy. And by holy, not only do we mean sinless and perfect, that is part of it. But the other sense in scripture of holiness refers to what is set apart, what is devoted entirely for the Lord, given over completely. When a couple gets married and they say their vows and the ring is put on the finger, what they are 
demonstrating and promising is that they belong entirely to this person who they are making this covenant with. Their thoughts, their work, their energy, their entire life is being given over to this person. I belong to you. I am devoted to you entirely for the entirety of my life, rich or poor, better or worse. And of course that's done publicly in a wedding because it's a covenant or a vow that's being made before the witness of God and men. Holiness has that aspect of being entirely devoted. Who is it, brothers and sisters, that walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart? It's only one person and one person alone who does that. It's the man who is set apart and devoted entirely for the Lord. It is the man who belongs entirely to the Lord. That is the person who walks in that way. And of course we know there's only one who has done it and it's our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Son of God who belonged entirely to the Lord, was devoted entirely to the Lord. Even if that meant dying on a cross for your sins and mine. Brothers and sisters, what is idolatry and sin? Idolatry and sin is simply a devotion to anything other than the Lord. And that can be respectable things like family, work, and ministry. If my devotion to those things is greater than my devotion to the Lord, that's an idolatry. And there are plenty of pastors where ministry has been that idolatry. Respectable, yes. People applaud them, pat them on the shoulder because of how productive their ministry is. And yet before the Lord, it's an abomination. And the weeds come in and they destroy. In our home, in our household, on occasion we'll sit down for dinner at a table. And at that table we more or less have an unofficial rule. There are no toys, there are no books, and there are no cell phones allowed. Why do we do that? Because I'm a big meanie? Then maybe. But we do that because we're trying to teach our boys. After your mother has labored, once in a blue moon your dad, but after your mother more often than not has labored to put together this meal of love for you, and we gather together not just to eat, but to be together with one another. There are things and there are distractions that if we're staring at them and look at them, we lose sight of what this table and what gathering together is all about. So if we come to this table, it's really not about the toys, the cell phone, and the other things. It's, it's really about what we're trying to say. is This is about being devoted to the Lord because this is His table and being devoted to one another. 100% not being checked out or absent. And the house of the Lord is the same. Brothers and sisters, holiness is about love. We don't see that. We say, oh, not sinning, being perfect. No, brothers and sisters, it's at the end of the day for the Lord. It's about having a heart that's entirely given over to the Lord who loves us and has redeemed us and saved him for himself. And brothers and sisters, that's what makes the house of the Lord a special place. How often do we fail to see, brothers and sisters, how special the Lord is? How special His Word is. How special His house is. How special His love is. How special time with Him is. Why? Because our hearts are simply devoted to something else. Because our hearts 
belong to something else. We're looking at our phones or we're looking at our social media, and I'm speaking figuratively, rather than gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and inquiring of Him. I recall one basketball coach who coached his boys into great success, and he would remind them, because their games were on Saturday, he reminded them that they would need to get to bed early on Thursday night. Why Thursday night? It's not Friday night, Thursday night. Thursday night, one day before. Because he was getting them primed and prepared so that their hearts and minds were ready to play the game on Saturday. He knew if you're just starting to wind down and getting your mind focused Friday night, you're going to be up all night. That game is lost. You're not there. Your head is somewhere else. The testimony of God's word, brothers and sisters, is because the Lord is holy, because his love for us is holy. There is no place in his house for anything that is not holy, not entirely devoted to him. And brothers and sisters, you've experienced that. You've been at the family Thanksgiving dinners where there's one relative who's checked out doing his own thing, looking at his phone. And it's like, oh my goodness, we're trying to have a family dinner here. And there's a couple of the folks who are off doing their own thing and running their business deals or whatever it is that's there. The house of the Lord, brothers and sisters, is holy because the Lord is holy and His love for us is holy. And because of that, He requires that we too be holy, that we belong entirely to Him and that our hearts are given over entirely to Him. And as you know, brothers and sisters, that is not easy to do. It's kind of hard. And King David learned that the hard way when he became an adulterer And he sinned with Bathsheba and then killed her husband. And he realized that he was not qualified on any level to enter into the house of the Lord. And so he had to beg for the Lord's forgiveness. And he realized he needed the Lord's help before he could ever step foot into the house of the Lord. And that brings us to our final point for this morning, brothers and sisters. The house of the Lord is the house of God's love and salvation. The house of the Lord is the house of God's love and salvation. Psalm 27 verse 1, King David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Brothers and sisters, what's the light of your life? What is your salvation? The testimony of your week, what you labor, what is it that's saving you? Well, for King David, clearly it was the Lord. And as we go back to Psalm 23, we see that what King David clearly understood is that he would never make it into the house of the Lord or to the house of the Lord without the Lord's help. Unless the Lord in love leads him, not part of the way, brothers and sisters, but every step of the way. And that the Lord would lead him every step of the way by his word. And that includes both restoring and refreshing David, but also disciplining David as well. All of that was necessary from the hand of the Lord and the word of the Lord, if David even had a remote chance of making it to the house of the Lord and into the house of the Lord. And contrary to the American counterfeit gospel, 
that desires a salvation without God's leadership and without God's lordship. King David knew differently. King David understood from his brokenness and sinfulness at different times in his life, we will never be saved without God leading us with his word. And we will never be saved and we will never make it to the house of the Lord and we will never enjoy the fellowship that the Lord desires to give us without his gift of faith that leads us to follow and obey him as our shepherd and our Lord every step of the way. And as we read Psalm 23, what you're reading is the good news that Jesus fulfills. The Lord saves King David by doing just that. The Lord saves him. We're reading the testimony of how the Lord saves King David by taking him every step of the way. As we come to the end of Psalm 23, King David shows us where this salvation of the Lord leads. My old professor, Dr. Cragen, used to say, salvation in the Bible, we think of it as this one point in time when you raise your hand and you do something to be saved. But when you come to Scripture and you read through Genesis through Revelation, God shows us you have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. Salvation encompasses the entirety of your life, as does the good news of Jesus Christ. King David in Psalm 23 shows where the Lord's leadership and his salvation in his life leads. It leads to the house of the Lord where King David is showered with a celebration of God's love for him. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And as we've mentioned before, this is a poetic reference, a metaphor, an illustration of the Lord's celebration of his salvation in David's life. It is a victory feast celebrating not what King David has done for the Lord, but rather what the Lord in love has done for King David. Brothers and sisters, how often do we get this backwards? How often do we think of church or the house of the Lord as a house of slavery, a house of obligation, where we're coming to do the Lord a favor? You see that, sadly, in so many small churches and church plants when they're getting off the ground, where guys will show up, and it's not uncommon that they're predatory people, where they come and say, oh, I'm just here to help you with your church. I figured you're a small church. We can be here. We can really help you. You know, I've served here. I've served there. I've had this experience. We can really come and help you. Well, brothers and sisters, in the house of the Lord, the Lord does not need our help. We need His help. That's why we've come. And we get it backwards, brothers and sisters, and we get it backwards in Bible studies and ministries where we feel that we're serving, and while I'm not going to serve in this ministry, I'll serve in that ministry because they need me. Okay, That's a sweet thing. It's a kind thing. That's merciful, it's kind and helpful. But be careful, brothers and sisters. We come to the house of the Lord so that the Lord can help us. And it's only as he helps us that we are in a position to help others with the love that he has given us. If you don't have that love, brothers and sisters, you're throwing dirt at people. It's tempting, brothers and sisters, as we think about what we do, we fail to see as King David did. The house of the Lord is where the Lord, like the father of the prodigal son, prepares a celebration and a feast for the repentance of the child who has not forgotten his lover's word, 
and is convicted of his sin and comes home only to ask for the mercy and grace of his father because he deserves nothing. And from the beginning, this is what the Lord's table, brothers and sisters, is all about. It's a celebration of the Lord's salvation. It's the Lord preparing a feast for us. In Exodus 25, 23, what you see is from the beginning, this is what the Lord's table was all about. In Exodus 25, 23, the Lord explains to Moses, after he's brought the children of Israel out of the bondage and out of the house of slavery in Egypt, and he's brought them to himself, and he's married them, and he's given them a covenant, and he says, you are my people, I will be your Lord. And he seals that covenant by sprinkling them with blood. He gives Moses the instructions of how to build the house of the Lord, the tent. And in Exodus 25-23, the Lord explains to Moses, In his house there is always to be a holy table. What type of a home is there without a table? In his holy house there is always to be a holy table, the Lord's table. It is to reside in the holy place, opposite the veil that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. And the Lord's table was not ever to be touched by anything that was unclean. Let me see if I can get this diagram here for you. Okay, this artist's illustration. And on this holy table was to be a holy meal of sacred wine and bread. The bread was known as the bread of the presence, or the show bread, or the bread of revelation. And when you go ahead a little bit into Leviticus 24, 5 through 9, the Lord explains the bread of the presence, the bread of the Lord's presence, okay, because it was right there opposite the Holy of Holies. The bread of the presence, the show bread, consisted of 12 loaves and two rows of six. One bread or loaf of bread for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was to serve as an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. And that bread was to be eaten only by Aaron and the priests who labored on the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. And what did the priests do on the Lord's Day? They cared for the hearts and souls of God's people. They cared for the hearts and souls of God's people. They helped perform the sacrifices. They did everything to take care of the children of Israel so that they could draw near to the Lord who had loved them and saved them. The food was to provide and to care for and to feed the priests on the Lord's Day. One representing each tribe. Okay, and it was listed explicitly as a memorial, a remembrance that the Lord is the one who gives them life and it provided and protected them. The Lord is the one who gives fellowship, a memorial and a covenant. And brothers and sisters, covenant and fellowship go hand in hand. Now I want you to notice something. In pagan temples... Altars and tables are places where worshipers place their food offerings for their hungry gods. And they do so in exchange for favor or blessing. It's a manipulation. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. I give you better oranges. I have more children. I have better business bonuses. And all of you Asians, you're familiar with this at different times. You've gone into those restaurants or you've gone into those homes where this is the picture of the ancestor and people put those incense sticks and they put a few oranges up there, right? 
We're working our mojo in our ancestor worship, hoping that they won't be upset with us and those bad ghosts don't visit us and that the business will be okay because they're happy with a couple of tangerines or oranges. That's the economy. I do for you, God. You do for me. And brothers and sisters, a lot of times we have to say that's our attitude. But when we see how the Lord instructs Moses with the table of the Lord and the bread that's there, it's the opposite. This is about the Lord feeding his people. This is about the Lord preparing a feast for them. This is a reminder that fellowship is a gift from the Lord. And that's why King David says, you prepare a table before me. And it's a reminder, brothers and sisters, that the Lord's salvation brings freedom from sin. And it's that freedom from sin that the Lord's salvation brings that enables us to have fellowship with Him and enjoy Him and enjoy His forgiveness and to be free, to have nothing between us and for a minute or a moment to be restored to that Garden of Eden. And it's what we look forward to. That's why David talks about his desires to dwell there forever. Not just one day a week. What King David understood is that the house of the Lord is not a house of slavery and obligation. It is a house of freedom. A house of freedom from sin. A sanctuary where his children are free to celebrate and enjoy and feed on the life and love that has saved them from their sin. Brothers and sisters, that's why the leaders of the church are called by the word of the Lord to correct What would happen if child abusers came in and we looked the other way? What would happen if men who are inappropriate in different ways do things and we just look the other way? And it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's no big deal until something happens to your family. No, the house of the Lord is ruled by the word of the Lord and his oversight and his command, including his discipline and correction, so that this is a safe place where you can come and not worry about those things and be free and forgiven to enjoy the fullness of God's love. Now, I understand that's not going to be perfect, brothers and sisters, till we get to heaven. But this is a preparation for that, brothers and sisters. And this is the already not yet. And this is where it begins. And when we see that illustration that God shows us in the table of the Lord in the Old Testament. And what it is meant to be. And then we come to the New Testament. And we come to the Last Supper. As Jesus has that intimate fellowship with the disciples. And we see what it is, this freedom, this intimacy, this fellowship of love with the Lord, being able to draw near to Him. Why would you not want to dwell in this place forever? There's only one reason. That you would not want to be in a place like this forever. And that reason is that we love our sin more than we love the Lord. King David understood that the house of the Lord was and is the house of God's love and his salvation where his children celebrate with him his love and his grace that has rescued sinners like you and I, that has forgiven us, that has washed us and has set us free and enabled us to draw near to him but also to one another. This is no obligation. 
This is the highest privilege. This is the highest joy. And this is the highest calling of God's people. The church. And it's worth stopping, brothers and sisters, as we consider that. And ask ourselves, do we know this joy? Do we know this privilege? Do we know this calling? Are we free to celebrate the love and the forgiveness and grace of the Lord? Or, brothers and sisters, are our eyes distracted by lesser things? If it is not the Lord who is leading our life with His Word, brothers and sisters, every step of the way, we will not be able to see and understand the magnitude of His grace and love for which He has given His very own Son to die on the cross to forgive our sins so that we too might say with King David, one thing I ask and seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to gaze upon the Lord's beauty and to inquire of Him in His temple forever. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, how you have loved us. And the house of the Lord that you have opened its doors by your blood is a gift of freedom, freedom from sin, a grace and mercy, Lord Jesus, that we do not deserve but desire. Lord Jesus, if there are any among us who do not know you, who profess Christ, but in fact their lives are being led by the bondage and slavery of this world, would you open their eyes to see the glory of your goodness? Would you bring them to repentance and salvation so that even this day they might enter into your house, your house with thanksgiving and praise? In your name we pray. Amen.